Good morning, good morning. So good to see all of you. I'm not sure, maybe it was the baptism last week, but we seem to be afraid of these first few rows. <laughs> Thought you might get splashed again or something like that. Great to see you. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's uh, such a joy to uh, welcome you and to see you uh, gathered with us. Uh, in worship. If you're a guest with us, and uh, perhaps if you are a guest, you might have peeked in through our podcast or some other means to get to know a little bit about our church, and you might, and hopefully you you picked up on this, or if you have, you would have seen that um, it's our practice here at City Church just to sort of work our way through Scripture, books of the Bible, and we are in the middle of a series um, on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and um, we have been teaching through that uh, for a number of months now, Um, but this week we are going to just take a a short break after um, just following our baptism service. You know, last weekend, um, I was amazed as uh, we got to celebrate 14 baptisms and hear the testimonies of these believers testifying to all that Christ had done in their life. And what struck me, the word that kept coming back to me again last week, and some of you may remember that I talked about this way back in January, uh, is this, uh, this, this calling for us as Christians and as the church to live with humility. And we saw that on display last week as over and over again from youngest to old testifying to what Christ has done, humbly acknowledging Jesus' work in their lives. And it was such a a marvel. So I just felt compelled that we should spend a little bit of time this week talking again about humility. And as a reminder, I told you at the beginning of the year, I don't always choose a word or a phrase from the year. Many of you do that because you're much more motivated and and put together than I am. Um, I haven't done that before, but it just sort of seemed like this year, that idea, this calling of humility was just the Lord was just impressing that upon my heart over and over again. And so, um, again, felt like it would be a good time reflecting again on last weekend what we got to experience together um, to think about and consider uh, the word humility and our calling as Christians to live uh, with humility. You know, thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about humility. And so as I thought about that, uh, it wasn't hard for me to uh, look to Scripture and to see what Jesus would have us live with and how he calls us to live with great humility. As I thought about that word, I came across uh, this comic book, one of my favorite comics, Charlie Brown, of course, the great theologian, Charlie Brown. And uh, we have a, a clip for you. I'll read it if you can't see the screen. It's, you know, Charlie comes up to Snoopy, says, I hear you're writing a book on theology. Charlie says, I hope you have a good title. And Snoopy tells him that he has the perfect title, the title for his book. Has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? <laughs> that is humility, Right? That we might be wrong, that we might not have it all together. Well, the Apostle Peter knew a lot about humility. He grew in humility. His pride constantly confronted, was confronted by Christ uh, of this calling to live with humility. And so we look to him in 1 Peter chapter 5, as Michael read for us, we hear this calling to live with humility from the Apostle. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that phrase, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, that's one if you've been in church for very long, you probably have heard that many times. 
What precedes this text, just before this calling to humility for all of the people, Peter has instructed elders, the shepherds, the pastors of the church, to preach the word and to lead with humility, to lead with conviction, and to do all that they are called to do. But he turns here, and it's important that we catch this. When he gets to verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you. And he's not now just speaking to the congregation First speaking to the elders, the pastors, now to the congregation or the people of the church. But he's saying, all of you, leaders, teachers, sheep, all of the church, speaking to believers specifically, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And before I come back, I'm going to come back to the beginning of that verse, clothe yourselves, and this idea of humility that Peter is speaking of. But I want to start at the end of that statement, which we, again, know We've heard it quoted often. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does it mean that God opposes the proud? The idea that God would oppose anything in our current context and cultural moment is a little bit shocking. That there would be anything that could be defined as sin, anything that could be defined as broken, anything that is not as it should be. The world doesn't like to think in those terms any longer. But it does say here, God opposes the proud. And it's interesting. This is just a little bit of an examination of our own hearts. The world is sinful. The world is broken. And there are things that God opposes. But notice who Peter again is speaking to. He is speaking here to the church. And we need to internalize this. We need to examine ourselves. One of the things that I hope that we'll gain from this text as we look at this scripture and it's a a, a partnering text from Matthew chapter 8 that I'm going to get to in a moment is that we will recognize how often we think it's our job to go out into the world and look outwardly and condemn the world of its sinfulness before first looking inwardly and saying we need to humble ourselves, all of us together. God opposes the proud amongst us as Christians. We need to realize that. We need to have humility with one another, and we need to have humility with the world. So what does it mean when we hear these words from Peter, God opposes the proud? Well, Peter would have had a firsthand knowledge, a firsthand experience of dealing with Jesus on this idea of pride and humility If you know, again, if you read much of your New Testament, you'll know that Peter was not lacking in conviction. Peter was not lacking in his uh, thought that he knew the right way. When Jesus is about to be taken to the cross, who is it that stands up and tries to defend Jesus? It's Peter. Did Jesus need any defending? Jesus would quickly tell him no. But in Matthew chapter 18, one of the experiences that Peter would have had with Jesus is this teaching, this idea looking at the idea of humility and, by contrast, pride. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 18. He says this, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples. Peter would have been amongst this crew. Asking Jesus... Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this question and this little interaction that Jesus has with his disciples, it follows Jesus' transfiguration, a moment in time that's hard for us to grasp as we read about it in Matthew chapter 17. It's a little bit, just seems kind of what was exactly happening. But here's what the disciples had experienced prior to this question. 
They had gone up to the mountainside, and they had seen Jesus in his glorified state, his transfigured from them, from looking just like them to seeing Jesus in all of his glory. What we expect when we meet Jesus face to face, the Jesus that we will meet, is what they got a chance to see prior to his ascension into heaven. They got a picture, and it was a, 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 a precursor. It was in a sense to just spur them along and to tell them, let me tell you who I am. They saw him as fully man prior, and in this moment they got to see him as God, and they had to hide their faces from him. That's what they had just experienced. And then they asked Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that question? I don't know if any of you have been to Disney World. We have been blessed. We got to go to Disney World twice. And there's a ride there. I just blanked on the name. But you drop a thousand stories. Kyle would be able to tell me. Jessica, they take their kids. But Tower of Terror, thank you. And so we go to the Tower of Terror. And we go up to the top. And then we drop down. And it, it, it's an amazing ride. There's another ride there called the, the Rock and Roller Coaster. And it plays Metallica. You shouldn't listen to that, I know. But anyway, it's, a good, it's, a, it's an amazing roller coaster. And we go through, and it just, I mean, it's fast. It goes from zero to 60 in, a, in literally like a second, okay? I've experienced that. Tower of Terror, rock and roller coaster. It would be as if I experienced that, and then I came, and I tried to jump up and down and recreate that experience, asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom when I've just seen God himself elevated and his glory shown all around me. That's the, just the silliness of thinking that I could experience something after seeing that, being able to experience those amazing roller coasters that they have there, those rides. Just silly. But this is the question that the disciples ask. Who is the greatest? And Jesus answers, and the way that he answers the question is very helpful to us. They ask, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus, when he answers them, he says in verse 2, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You're asking who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is, by the way, this is Matthew 18. We're right now Matthew 5 through 7. So he's already taught the Sermon on the Mounts. They would, Sermon on the Mount. Not, there's not two Mounts. Mount. <laughs> The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the very first thing, if you, have, if you haven't heard this, go back and listen to our sermon series on that. The very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who understand their complete poverty of spirit when they come before God. Those are the ones who are going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, as they ask here in 18, who's the greatest? He says, you're asking that question. You better beware. You might not even be in the kingdom of heaven if you're asking that kind of a question. If you're that prideful, if you think so highly of yourself that you're trying to figure out what rank you're going to be in, in heaven, you need to become like a child. Only if you become like a child would you be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus takes their question about order and how to sort of where their position is going to be, and he transitions it, t turns it to an order, a question about will you even be able to enter the kingdom at all? And he uses a child to illustrate this point. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, to illustrate his point, he calls a child over. After they ask this question, he calls the child to himself. He says, unless you come to me like this child, don't even ask, don't even think about rank. Don't even think about being the greatest. This is how you come to the kingdom, like a child. One commentator would say that this reference positively to children is probably the only positive reference to children in all of ancient Jewish literature. See, children had a very low position. We, in our context, and it's hard for us to understand this, we worship our children, sometimes we idolize them, they're everything. Our whole world is built around satisfying and caring and doing, meeting all of the needs of our children. But in Jesus' day, children were very low. They were at the bottom of the socioeconomic sort of status. And so when Jesus, when they ask him who's going to be the greatest, and he calls a child over to them, even the fact that a child would come to him was shocking. And it was speaking something. He says, this is what it would look like. This is the only way you're going to enter the kingdom is if you come like a child. To enter the kingdom, we must become like children. Jesus also says, as he continues or is speaking of this, we heard him in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child over and over again, this is not just a once and for all. Sometimes we think about coming to Jesus because of his teaching here, and we read this and we think, okay, I have to come to Jesus like a child. And then after that, then I'll grow up and I'll mature and I'll turn away from coming to Jesus like a child. And Jesus says, no, it is a daily, over and over again, moment by moment, living with the humility of a child that allows you to come to me. And we have to take that on. We have to put on that kind of humility. See, for the child, because of the context, for the child to even come to Jesus, an adult, a teacher, a rabbi, a man of authority and position, children wouldn't do that. It took great trust for the child to go to Christ, to come to him as he called him. That's the humility of a child, to come and to trust that Jesus would welcome him, that Jesus wasn't going to mock him or harm him or cast him out or use him as a, an example of derision. No, he was going to welcome him. This is the humility of a child. And we have to put on that humility over and over and over again, day by day. See, it's the people who come to Jesus like children, with complete trust, with total humility, not trying to be the greatest, but just come to receive, that are the ones who Jesus is going to exalt. But here's the warning in verse 5. And six, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. See, Jesus, when he speaks in verse five and six, he's not no longer just speaking of children. He's used the child as an illustration to the disciples, but now he's talking really and using children as an illustration for all who are weak, all who are like the children in need, who need help, who need caring, 
who need to be provided for. If you're a parent in the room, you understand what this looks like. Your child, my children, they ask over and over again, what's for dinner? What do we have to eat? Do you notice the assumption in that question? Not will we eat? Not when can we eat? That that when is like long gone, in our house at least. It's just a constant state of eating. But it's just, what can we eat? What is there? I know that there, I trust, and I have total confidence. There's food in this house. I just need to know where it is and which of it is going to be mine right now. That's the faith. That's the confidence of a child. And Jesus, he's giving us this instruction that we come to him. We come with total humility. And and as we then, the church, receive one another, receive people, and treat people who are like children, Weak, in need of help, in need of care. As he would turn and call in Matthew chapter 25, he would define it. When we receive the least of these who are like children, that's when we live with humility. We're displaying humility. But woe to you who would not receive the least of these, those in need, those who might need our help, who need our care, who need our love, who need to hear the love of Christ. Woe to you if you would turn them away, if you might cause them to sin. So back to Peter. When he's giving this instruction, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It would make perfect sense that he is remembering this conversation that he had with his Savior, wherein he remembers the face of that child. And he says, we're to live Like that, like Jesus, when I saw him receive that child, church, this is how we are to live, to receive the least of these, those who are hurting, those who have needs, those who are different than us. This is what it means to receive. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, if we go backwards to the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Now we understand what it looks like for, for God to oppose the proud and why God deals with pride in the way that he does. We've unpacked that going back from what we just referenced, but also to the Beatitudes. But he says that we are to have humility towards one another. One ancient Christian author wrote a book, What is Christianity? says this, humility is not a virtue by itself, but is pure receptivity, the expression of inner need. This is what humility is. The prayer for God's grace and forgiveness. In a word, the opening up of the heart to God. That's how he defines humility. He continues, this then is the source and origin of love of one's neighbor. So the source of our love for our neighbor and care for others is our humility before Christ. It's not a virtue by itself, he says. It's an expression. It's our understanding of our ultimate need for God, for Christ to intervene. Humility begins with that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It takes great humility to acknowledge your poverty of spirit, how destitute you are before God. Do we do that naturally? Most of us, we don't. 
Most of us, if there's some sort of trial in our life or struggle in our life, I would submit to you that you try and justify yourself to God. Well, God, I did this and I've done that. I showed up to church. I gave some money. I taught this class. I, you know, I, I took care. I took my neighbor some food. We start anything we can think of. When we realize, okay, things aren't going right. I may have, I, I am walking in some sinfulness here. What do we try to do? We try to justify ourselves before God. Come up with any reason that we're not really as bad as we think we are. We're not really as bad as ultimately we know we are in our hearts. But that's not humility. Humility is understanding I have nothing. to God, I am completely destitute, broken before you. And Jesus promises that when we get to that state, that point, that is when we are welcomed into the kingdom. It starts with humility. And when we understand, when we have that kind of humility about ourselves, it leads to a love of neighbor. This is why Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. When we understand what Christ has done on our behalf, when we become like the little children that Jesus showed in Matthew chapter 18, we come to Jesus like children and we live like children rather than like Pharisees. We trust, we encourage, we bless. We can't help but love our neighbor instead of judging our neighbor. That's what it looks like. Think about this. What prevents us from loving our neighbors as Christ would command us to, as he's called us to? Ultimately, it's the root of every interruption of that kind of love, of that kind of display towards others is pride. We think we have it figured out. That's what prevents us from loving our neighbors well. We think to ourselves, they're not like me. They're not in my crew. They're not on my team. They're not my tribe, my people. I don't need to love them. My neighbor, they don't, he doesn't mow his lawn very well. It looks like a disaster all the time. That's me. It's been hard. A lot of, lot of ice. They parent different than me. They've got different political views. They wear masks. They don't wear masks. They're going to vaccinate. They're not going to vaccinate. Can I, I can keep going all day long on these right now. All of these things that divide us. And we say, I don't need to display humility towards that person. I don't need to love them like Jesus loves them because they're so different than me. I need to tell them why they're wrong. I need to come over and help him mow his lawn because he's clearly an idiot. He doesn't know how to do that. I need to help them parent better because they don't know how to parent. Look at the train wreck of their children. They don't know how to do this right. They don't know every, We walk around thinking and looking at everybody else and deciding how in our holiness God has ordained that we've got it all figured out and everyone else doesn't. Isn't that true? How often we go about our day and we look and we examine and we think this is right, I'm right, this is wrong, I am here to judge and condemn that, to fix that problem. And that's not what Christ calls us to. When we understand the grace and the mercy that we have received, our complete poverty before God, and yet his overwhelming love towards us, how can we not look at those who, just like us, are completely destitute and helpless before God and love them as Christ loves them? Display that. In Matthew 18, Jesus says to be received into the kingdom we have to have childlike humility. And he says that as we receive children, those who are 
needing our help, those who are the marginalized, those who look differently than us. Those are the ones that we're called to display this kind of neighborly, Christ-like humility towards. This is why Jesus warns about causing them to sin. How do we cause people to sin? We don't guard our own personal holiness. We allow all of these other ideas, these temptations to be the Pharisee, to fix the world to creep into our minds. And what Jesus is calling us to, what Peter here is calling us to as well in 1 Peter 5, is to put on humility. This is why he says, clothe yourselves. Every day, I know for myself, hopefully you're better than me, but my guess is you might not be. I wake up and I battle my pride. I battle my flesh. I have ideas, I have thoughts, I have things that I want to do and accomplish in this world, and I have to put on Christ and therefore put on humility, humility towards others. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. In verse 6, he continues, humble yourselves. And this is the why. Kind of the why and the how put together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. See, one of the reasons that we feel it's our compulsion, our necessary, you know, sort of role in the world to go out and tell the world of all of the things that we see that is wrong, and even sometimes within the body of Christ to come at one another and say this is wrong and this is a correct and all of these sorts of things, is that we don't trust in the sovereign hand of God the mighty hand of God. See, if we trust and we have complete confidence in the mighty hand of God, the sovereignty of God, then we know, here's what believing in the sovereignty of God means. Everything will be done exactly as God intends it to be done. And when we look backwards in time, we will say that everything that he did was done perfectly, even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to us in our in the moment of life, in the struggle of this life. It's why Peter has to remind us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God's hand is not weak, friends. He is not needing our help. God, the Holy Spirit, will do what he intends to do. We are not the Holy Spirit. We are his church. We need to remember that. Humble yourselves towards one another, towards the world that you engage with, under the mighty hand of God, knowing that in his sovereignty, he will do exactly what he intends to do. And you want to, your your exaltation, we need to remember, let's leave God in the business of exalting whoever he's going to exalt. And let us just be faithful to be humble towards others. Do you trust in the mighty hand of God to do exactly what he intends to do? To deliver his justice, his power, to show his righteousness, his holiness, all of those sorts of things? 
See, the disciples back in Matthew chapter 18, they wanted to be exalted. They wanted to know who was going to be the greatest. And I think so often that's my temptation, that's our temptation. We want to understand where do we fit, how do we fit into the story. It's why so often when we look at the Bible, by the way, what do we so often do? We just try to insert ourselves into the story of the Bible rather than letting Jesus be the main character of the Bible. It's because we want to be exalted. We want to be lifted up. We want to see ourselves. What we need to do is we need to look at Christ and look at his example And he was the definition of humility. We can be humble and we can display Christ-like humility towards one another. And the way that we do that, the how to that is we understand God is in perfect and total control. There's not one molecule in the universe that is out of place right now. Even all of those things that we look out and we say, but that's wrong, and that's evil, and that doesn't line up with God's word, and that's not how things should be, and they shouldn't be doing that, and on and on and on. We can go a million, the the list is unending. But you know who is sovereign over all of that mess? God. Do you know who is at work redeeming all of that mess? God. Do you know who was once at the center of that mess? You and I. And if we call ourselves Christians today, it's only because of his mercy that we understood our poverty before him. And he welcomed us in as sons and daughters. And this is why Peter closes this little section on humility, teaching us humility with verse 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, Because he cares for you. So we can trust in the mighty hand of God, friends. I want to assure you, wherever, whatever pain, brokenness, challenge, fear, anxiety you are dealing with this morning. The the weight that you woke up with, you barely could maybe perhaps lift yourself out of bed because you felt this pressure on your chest to do something, to fix this, to handle this situation, this relationship, this job situation, whatever that might be in your life, I want to tell you and give you assurance that God cares for you. And at his proper time, in his perfect way, he will deal with that. And you want to know how I know that to be true? Because Jesus cares for me. And you're saying, well, that sounds great for you, but I'm not real sure Jesus cares for me because I just dealt with this all week. I get it. I don't know. I can't imagine what those things are in your life. But here's how I know Jesus cares for me and how I know Jesus cares for you. Because the humility that he called his disciples to live with in Matthew chapter 18, the reason he could do that, the reason he taught Peter this kind of humility and the reason that he's teaching us now, I pray, this type of humility to live with this kind of humility is because he himself embodied it. He is the picture and the definition of humility. He humbled himself to come and be like me, to take on flesh, to become man. God himself became like me and humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross, laid down his life for my sins. He had no sin. He knew no sin. 
became sin when he laid down his life on a cross so that in him I might be called the righteousness of God. So that as he laid down his life, taking on God's wrath against my sin, he welcomed me as a son of God. That's how I know Jesus cares for me. And that's how I know Jesus cares for you. Because he's already proven the depth of his love and the power of his love for you when he laid down his life on the cross. That's truth. And when we realize that, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, the humility that he displayed as he laid down his life for us, then we can get a picture of how we are to live. Jesus didn't tell us to consider others greater than ourselves, to clothe ourselves in humility. That wasn't some moralistic statement of, hey, here's how to get along in life. He was saying, do this as I've already or I'm preparing to go and do on your behalf. I'm going to lay down my life for you. There's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his brothers. That's Jesus speaking about his laying down of his life. And that's what he calls us to. This is what humility looks like. And so I pray that we could be a people, a church, that day by day, in the height of our pride, we could wake up each morning and we could clothe ourselves with humility towards one another, that we could remember this challenge that God opposes the proud. He is not for pride. He is against pride. And he calls us to put all of that away and to live with humility towards one another and towards the world. When you look at people who are different than you, who struggle differently than you do, have various, their their sins are not your sins, do you look down upon them with condemnation? Do you look at them with judgment? Or do you recognize that was me before I knew Jesus? Do you have anxieties and concerns that you think it's only going to be fixed if you figure it out? Do you believe that God is sovereign over all things? Or do you more than likely or sometimes are you tempted to say, if it is to be, it's up to me? God would say, God would call us, and I hope that we could be a church that says, no, I trust in God's sovereign hand. I understand the poverty of my spirit before Christ. He didn't welcome me in because I had it all figured out. And if you have anxieties and burdens and things that are weighing down on your soul this morning, I hope that you would know that Jesus cares for you. He proved it when he laid down his life for you. If you would believe that and you know that, then what what else can get in the way? I just want you to consider what what. Anything, whatever it is that is on your heart this morning, the burden that you're carrying this morning, is there anything that can't be overcome by the God of the universe laying down his life for you? Is there, how, how, how else could God tell you that he loves you? Is there another way? I can promise you, we most often, I know in my own life, I'm tempted to say, God, if, you, if you'd kind of just fix this problem, then I'd know you'd love me. And then the next day, you know what happens? There's a bigger problem. What the heck? Okay, you fixed that one, but now I got this one. The only way I know to make it through this world is to know that no matter what I face, Jesus cares for me. I can give it all to him. I can trust him. 
and knowing that I've given it all to him, that he's paid it all, he's taken care of it all, I can live with you together, one another. I can live in this community. I can go to my neighbor who thinks I'm crazy because I don't mow my lawn enough. I can look at the people that parent differently than me, that have different political views than I do, that handle the pandemic differently than I do, and I can be gracious and merciful, and I can be humble before them and say to them, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the answers to life, but I know the one who does, and point them to Jesus. I pray that we would be a people who could do that. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, help us. We need your help to be the kind of people to display the humility of our Savior to a world that so desperately needs a people who would display complete confidence in your sovereign hand. Help us to be people in humility who exalt you, Jesus, rather than striving to exalt ourselves rather than trying to convince the world of our great wisdom and how we have it all figured out, let us display your humility. Help us to be a people who day by day put you on Christ and therefore put on humility and show the world how much you care for them. Pray that you would help us to do that. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's remember Jesus who holds us all together in the palm of his hand. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me Tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, he must hold.
he's going to sing that song is so that my children and my wife who sit there grieving will know that the reason that I am with Jesus is because he held me fast. It's not because I did it all right, not because I had life all figured out, not because I was a better Christian than anyone. It will be because Jesus held me fast and kept me in the faith until the end. And I want them, everybody that is there to worship Jesus, to know that I'm with Jesus because of what he did, not because of anything that I ever could do. And I want you to know that as well. So if you have questions, perhaps the Holy Spirit as we sang or as you heard this knucklehead speak a little bit, you have doubts, you might have come in this morning having a crisis of faith. Our elders will be down front. I'll be right down here before you. I'd love a chance to pray with you, to encourage you, to bless you in any way I can. Um, I do have a few closing announcements before we leave and dismiss. First is this week, spring break, Melissa ISD is on spring break this week, and so we're not going to have any of our midweek gatherings, our men's and women's Bible studies, student groups. Um, We'll have a a gathering of sorts, a movie night that's going to happen, but men's and women's Bible studies are not going to be happening this week. Um, Next Sunday evening, we'll come back together on Sunday morning, but we'll also, it's the second Sunday of the month, uh, which is when we have evening prayer. And so I want to invite you to be here Sunday evening at 5 o'clock for prayer. If you haven't ever been a part of that, all we do is come together and pray for one another, pray for our community, um, ask the Lord to help us as a church to be faithful in our mission. And so um, there's no teaching, it's just worship and prayer. And so I just want to invite you, child care is provided for that. And so please uh, be with us next Sunday evening. And then finally, uh, parents, if you have a kindergartner through a sixth grader, you want to make note of this date. Uh, We will give more details are coming, but just for the time being, save June 14th through the 18th. We have something very big that we're excited to announce. We'll be able to announce 
all of the details of that next weekend. Um, but if you have a kindergartner through sixth grader, just pencil in June 14th through the 18th. Um, really excited to be able to share uh, some details about that in the coming weeks. So um, again, I'll be down front. Our elders will be here. We'd love an opportunity to pray and encourage you in any way that we can. Until next week, thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.